Um, I normally would say to you on a morning like this, uh, well, I'm going to say good morning. My name is Glenn, uh, one of the pastor's elders here at the Rock Church. If you're watching online for the first time and just joining us or you're visiting this morning, good morning. Uh, it's great to have you here. Um, we are going to be looking at various passages today, lots of them, so I'm not going to be directing you to one in particular. Actually, I will, since it's not going to be on screen. Uh, there's going to be one that's going to be really important. Go to Romans chapter 10, if you have your Bibles with you, and we'll look at that. So let's get started here this morning. Um, we are going to conclude today a three-week... Oh, this can't be so, is it really? Look at that. <laughs> our charismatic brother, Rudy Bota, there, he got it working, that's... That's, that's how this works, okay? That's awesome, guys. We are concluding today our three-week mini-series. Um, uh, that, that I've, I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying it. I've actually heard, heard from a number of you over the last couple of weeks that actually the goal that I had was, uh, more than anything, was, um, and we do this every summer, it's kind of a tradition to just you know, refocus us about the church and what it means to be the church, and, and it's helpful to those of us who are part of the rock long-term, but also to new people. Uh, to, to learn a little bit about, you know, how we go about things and why and, and so forth. But this year, it just felt like there was a need to do a, a little bit more. Um, and, and we're growing and learning as a church, too, so that's part of it. And so I'm just really grateful that um, some of you have been commenting in the last couple of weeks about um, learning the specifics about the mission and, and the focus on that. And then last week on the gathering and the importance of the gathering. And so, I'm, as I say, I'm really grateful for that. We've been looking at uh, the mission the first week, the gathering last week, and today we're going to be looking at the scattering. Honestly, hands up if you've ever heard a sermon about the scattering. Nobody puts their hands up, right? Because I, I don't think it's for the first time. It's awesome. Uh, so I'm excited about that, actually, because um, I hope you will see today that this pattern is actually amazing. We, we are to gather on the first day of the week. And I hope last week you, you took the, the big idea to be, it's super important to be here, to be together as a body. We like to tell people that we call people who are making the Rock Church their home church, simple things. Faithfully attend Sunday gatherings, faithfully attend a missional community group, and faithfully give and serve in the church. And, and, and the emphasis is on that faithfully, which means not legally, okay? Like we realize there are some Sundays where you're not well, or you can't make it, or you're away, or you know, it's a powder day. I mean, those things happen, and, and they're okay, occasionally, okay? Uh, so the gathering's important, and what we saw last week is that the importance of it is we come here to share with one another and to bring something to the gathering. I'll get back into that a little bit more this morning, but one thing we have learned so far, I hope, is that the, mis- the mission that Jesus has given to us is not something that we make up. He has given it to us, and it is very specific. And it has been taken from the Great Commission passages, uh, most notably, of course, Matthew 28, but also Luke, uh, pardon me, Acts 1.8, uh, where Jesus tells us to go, right? So I want to put back on screen, this is awesome, uh, for you this morning, the actual mission statement of the Rock Church that we have cobbled together over the past uh, 12 years, actually. It's kind of morphed into what it is today, and we now feel it's close to the final mission statement. And so let me read it for you to be on screen. Simply put, our mission is to make Jesus known. That's all it was in the first three years. And then we've added, we exist, therefore, to make disciples who make disciples by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and gathering these disciples into the church. 
that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. And so you'll note in this mission statement that there is an emphasis on these disciples that we're discipling being encouraged to come into the gathering of the church and that they be part of the gathering of the church. And so I'm hoping also that the big takeaway that we learned from last Sunday is this, that this gathering here on Sunday mornings of the church, and I'm going to use the word that I used last week, I think three times, but I'll use it again today so we understand the emphasis, is primarily for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. It is primarily for those who are Christian, saints in Christ. Third time, it is primarily for the church. And that's an important thing that we took away. And so what we do as saints in Christ on Sunday mornings is we come here to, like you've been doing, worship Jesus, worship God, sing your praises to him, give your thanksgiving to him, your worship, your adoration and praise to him. And and the idea then is this. This is the important part. If unbelievers, or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I believe last week we read, outsiders are present and they are, and we hope so, and as our sign outside says, everyone is welcome, what they will experience is this, Christians being Christians, full on, nothing watered down, exactly what we're called to do here, and especially when we open God's Word. If, however, we understand, and we looked at this a bit last week, the gathering of the church on Sunday, to be primarily or more focused on the outsiders and on the unbelievers, then we will have to adjust the way we worship, right? We would have to do that. And so we looked at three different models last week, and I'll just mention them again briefly, that have been tried over the past 100 years at least. Um, The one that I remember when I was and I'm older than you, okay? I know it's hard to believe, but I am. And, and I remember that, 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 you know, it was called the evangelistic meeting of the week. And so the whole idea of that meeting was you invite, bring people here, and I get them saved. Or, or whoever's preaching and teaching has got to get them saved because it's like fire and brimstone. And, and, it, and, you know, in some cases, in some places during revivals, it worked. And then it didn't. It stopped working. And then we saw in the mid-70s something called the seeker-sensitive model, you know, the church for the unchurched model open up, and I mean, it was full on. What was not working well in the evangelistic model, you know, the worship, the preaching, you know, like the smoke and mirrors, it was like it was happening. They had smoke machines. It was incredible. And those churches really grew, and it was exciting. And then 30 years later, they confessed, no, it didn't actually work. People were not placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They were coming to be amused and entertained and to consume. And so that focus was, and it's still alive today for that matter in many places. And so today we're, we're in you know, different modes. And I called one last week that is, is kind of evident in the last four, five, six years, the all-inclusive model. And again, we, we understand what that word inclusive means, but All of those models, the reason why I brought them to our attention last week, require us to do something about this on a Sunday that would be a mistake. To change the focus. 
And so, uh, again, I, I just want to encourage you. I don't know how many times over the years we've had people come here uh, who've come on the arm of a friend, and it's been a pretty tough sermon, you know, not because I'm preaching it. I'm not so tough. Uh, some of you guys know that. Uh, but, but it's a tough sermon. It's like, you know, it's full on. It's about sin. It's about repentance and so on and so forth. And sometimes when people are like, oh, my, I brought my friend who's, you know, been out of church or not in church or whatever, and I was all through the whole service. I was so nervous. And then they're the first ones to come up afterwards and go, thanks for that. I needed that. That's why we do what we do. And so again, the gathering is also, as we saw last week, a time where we come together to serve one another by, by bringing the gifts. And we saw this in 1 Corinthians, it'll be on screen here in verse 26. And he says to the church in Corinth, what then, brothers, when you come together, look, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So again, the emphasis is, it's not just Rudy and the worship team or Monica and the teachers upstairs or me or whatever. We, we all should be thinking about bringing something to the gathering of the church on Sunday. I guarantee you this. If that were to happen, this would be a lot more exciting, okay? Every week it would be. And so pray about that. Pray about what can I bring? It's a simple thing. It, it's, and some of you did that when Rudy did what he did this morning. It was just to say something to somebody. Hey, Good to see you. Hey, I was thinking about you. I was praying about you. And I thought about you. And God said this to me about you. Bring something for each other. And of course, it's for the building up. And we saw that in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where we see that Jesus himself, look, it says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to do what? To equip you, saints in Christ, the church, for the work of ministry. And of course, so, so we see in that, that again, those gifts are to be present in the church, in the gathering of a larger group of people, people with apostolic gifting, prophetic gifting, yes, evangelistic gifting, and of course, shepherding and teaching gifts. They're all so necessary. And so here's the point, and what we'll look at today is this. If that's the case, if that's the kind of Sunday gathering we have, then the idea is you leave here encouraged, because you know what? Christian life, not exactly that easy, is it? So you leave here encouraged. You, you leave here built up for what? Another week to scatter and be the church 24-7. Okay, sleep, but your title for today's message is The Scattering of the Church. I hope to see three things. I can't believe this. I actually got a three-point outline that all start with the same letter. I normally don't do that because, anyway... Point number one, declaration. Point number two, discipleship. Point number three, demonstration. These are the things that should happen when we scatter. Number one, declaration. So look, I'm pretty sure most of you uh, who have been Christian for some time, you've probably heard this saying. It's a great saying. Maybe not. It's let your walk do your talking. Anybody heard that? Come on. Now you put your hands up. You've got to have heard that before. Yes, thank you. Let your walk do your talking, right? That's, it's, it's, I mean, the idea is let, let just your, 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 the way that you live, the, uh, the things that you do, you know, how nice a person you appear to be, let that do your talking. There's, there's some semblance of truth in that, but I want to show you in a second, it's actually been taking the wrong way. Another saying that was birthed out of that is this, and it'll be on screen, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Oh, man, I remember hearing that one, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, going, good, 
I don't have to say anything to anybody about Jesus. <laughs> it was just like, like I just got to be a really good guy, and like, oh, you're welcome. Let me open the door for you. Just, I just have to act it, right? Now, sometimes this, this saying actually has been attributed falsely to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, a Franciscan monk, I believe, in the Catholic Church, yes. And, and that, that is, it's not true. He, he did not actually say that. Some apparently not-so-wise person uh, brought it up. So the idea, again, there is, is that it's like, yeah, you're being encouraged to go into this world after you leave here on, on church on Sunday, and just, just be a good person, right? You don't really have to open your mouth and say anything. I don't know about you, but I, I had that idea kind of, kind of, go and invite, bring them here, I'll do the talking for you. It's kind of the mindset, right? From a biblical, actually, well, easy for me to say, from a biblical, biblical perspective, I'll get it out, there's some truth to this idea of letting your walk do your talking. Uh, the Apostle Paul often used the word walk in his epistles and letters. Ephesians 4.1 begins with, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But, but in his case, and in that day, th- that was a common uh, a term that meant just, just as you go about your daily life. It, it's about your, your way of life. It's, it's like you get up in the morning, and, and if you're going to go to the marketplace, you're, how are you going to get there? Like, you know, like a, a rad bi- electric bike? No, you're going to walk. <laughs> so it, it had a sort of a metaphorical uh, understanding that it, this is about your life. And, and so as you're going about your life, walk in a worthy manner manner in which you've been called. And again, as we've seen this before, we are all called to this. So this is what Paul is getting at in this. But he also, along with Jesus, he makes it very clear that we are to use words. We are to use words. Words of proclamation and witness as we go about our walk and about our daily lives. So now as we remember the mission of the church, remember that mission statement that we put up that Jesus gave us is to go and make disciples, and that is our collective responsibility, then that means that we are all called to this, every one of us, to call to three things in that respect, to declare, to proclaim, and to witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. And I love Paul's words, as you will see in Romans 10 that I mentioned to you earlier that you could open to, but they will be on screen. The first verse is amazing. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The point of the Great Commission, the point of the mission of the church is that people would be saved. Amen? That's the point. It's the whole reason why he didn't just wind everything up after he resurrected from the dead and say, there, it's done. Okay, those of you who here believe, we're done, let's go. No, for God so loved the whole world. And there's an age that he has set apart so that more people can enter the kingdom of God. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Hmm. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Again, I had this impression so many times in my life in churches that that was the preacher's feet or those missionaries who go overseas, right? Those were the beautiful people. They were going to be sitting with Jesus at the head table one day. 
That's the impression that I had. So this is a beautiful passage. Salvation comes by calling on the name of the Lord, which is preceded by someone faithfully sharing the gospel with them. Those someone, those are, those someone in this passage, look, are those who are what? Sent. Those who are scattered into the community. The ESV translation, however, is a bit unfortunate. I love that translation. That's what I preach from and what we use primarily in the church. In the sense that what you read here, it might leave you thinking, okay, wait, I'm not a preacher. This is therefore clearly for pastors, clearly for preachers or missionaries, you know, those people. The problem with that translation is is that that's not the word. (laughs) It's a good translation to preach. Another good translation would be to proclaim. But the Greek word is evangelizio. It's the word by which we get the words evangelist and evangelize. We're all called to that. Every single one of us. So you might remember that from our first message in the series where we've been over it many times that our identity in Christ, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a naming ceremony. You've been given a new identity as a member of the family of God, as a child of God. You are now a servant of King Jesus. And the Father and the Son send you in the power of the Holy Spirit as missionaries into this world. So we're all given these identities. We do that in specific ways as the church scattered. We understand from the scripture. First, we share the gospel. (laughs) We share the gospel. We proclaim that there is a God who came in the flesh as a person, that we are all sinners, that we all need a savior, that we've all fallen short because of our sin. Every single one of us, there's level ground at the cross. (laughs) Everyone's welcome to come to the cross and repent of their sin. We need a savior for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is that savior based on his perfect life that you and I could not live based on his death on the cross in our place and for our sins and certainly based on his resurrection. And he gives us life through that, which then purchased our forgiveness and made us sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father forever. The gospel here I've given to you in just a few words. The idea is is that we all need to learn how to share the gospel in our own words, in a similar way. Secondly, as Jesus commanded his disciples in Acts 1.8, we go and we witness. And that's a specific call that he gave to his apostles and disciples at that time, but also that they were to share that with you and I as the call. And that was to his resurrection. The resurrected Jesus is standing there right in front of them. And that's what he's calling them geographically now to go to their own backyard, first of all, which is Jerusalem, ours is Squamish, and then to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. There's a saying that we have here at the Rock Church um, that I believe is more helpful than um, what we've heard about your walk doing the talking, and it is this, and we'll put it on screen for you. As you scatter, live your life in such a way that the only explanation you have for someone who asks is the gospel. Think about that. How do I act? What about what I post online, especially about politics these days? Like, 
when people ask, why do you think that way? Why do you act that way? Why do you behave that way? Why do you live that way? Pretty much the only explanation that you could have is the gospel. So I want to give you an illustration of that. Just imagine this week, someone who is a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, um, it, it could be anyone who, you, who you knows you a little bit, but you come in contact with, and, and they comment about the way that you take care of yourself, you know, physically or whatever it might be. Uh, the, the way that you, they see you and, and um, loving your wife or loving your husband and raising your kids and, or, or the way you do business, the, the way you're, you know, you're, 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 you're not legalistic or whatever, but you're just, you're just fair and you're kind and, you know, these good things, right? And, and uh, of course, at that point, based on what we just saw, this is the perfect opportunity, right? You, you could just step in right there and go, but you know what we do? I, I do it. I think most of us, we do, we do something else. We don't, first of all, go there. Yes, essentially what we do is we take credit in some way, shape, or form, very humbly, of course, by saying, well, you know, uh, the truth is I've read a lot of books about parenting, um, or I've been to a couple of seminars, I've taken a course, you know, or I've been doing this for a while, you know, and, uh, but thank you, I, you know, that's very kind of you to, to notice. Right? Opportunity missed, do you think? How about this instead? How about, well, hey, listen, thank you so much. Um, I really do appreciate that. Um, but the truth is, I can't, honestly take credit for that at all. Um, left up to my own devices, honestly, I know myself, you don't see me at these times, but I can be pretty cranky, you know, I, I, I can get angry, I can say and do really foolish things, um, I can be a bit of a complainer, a critic, a selfish person, but the truth is this, when Jesus came into my life, uh, things started to improve a lot. <laughs> So at the end of the day, if you see any good in me, any good in my behavior, it's not me. It's Jesus. Would that be different? Let's practice that. As we scatter this week, just try it. Like, I, I, listen, I'm writing this, okay? And I'm like, I need to try this more. There's a marvelous parable that you all know. We, we actually looked at it many, many weeks ago. In our Knowing Jesus series of the parable of uh, Jesus and the parable of the sower, right? It's fantastic. Just review that in your mind and think about that parable. And of course, what does a sower do? Well, a sower sows seeds, right? And so the idea of the parable that Jesus wanted us to see is, is that whether, whether a man or a woman is, you know, sowing seeds, and by the way, the seeds are the word of God, basically what he was doing was what? Scattering them everywhere on all kinds of soil. It didn't matter to Jesus. Even on soil that would not produce fruit, Jesus still said, no, you know what? They need the word of God. There's always hope. We're not going to judge those soils for sure. So friends, I believe, I honestly believe this. I know most of you. And I believe, I believe it's true that you all truly do want to see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm sure you do. You also, you know the consequences, right? If people don't place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so based on that, you have a genuine concern for those who are lost. 
whether they're really close to you or not, you, you have a concern in your heart. That said, if you believe the press, if you believe the media in general, uh, the apparent decline in church attendance, plus what seems to be the constant deconstructing and deconversion of many young Christians, and the open hostility actually towards Christian beliefs and values, you, you have heard of that, haven't you? You've seen that a little bit in our culture in these days? Well, the task of evangelizing anyone then feels a bit scary, doesn't it? It's like, I don't know. What can I possibly say without getting attacked or written up as an idiot, a fool? Proclaiming the gospel in today's world can feel impossible. (laughs) I'm going to be accused of something, and phobic is going to be part of it, for sure. It's going to be part of it. I've got some good news for you. We don't don't need to have confidence in ourselves. We need to have confidence in God, right? He does the impossible. He really does. You're the impossible. If you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are. I am. We all are. For your encouragement, I want to read you a letter written by a 17-year-old atheist Uh, who uh, wrote a letter to his friend who had been witnessing to him. The letter went like this. You ask me my religious views. You know what? I think that I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof of any of them. From a philosophical point alone, Christianity is not even the best. All religions, that is, all mythologies, to give them a proper name, are merely man's own invention. Christ as much much as Loki or Loki. Superstition, of course, is in every age has held the common people, but in every age the educated and thinking ones have stood outside of it, though usually outwardly conceded it to it for convenience. Of course, mind you, I'm not laying down as a certainty that there is nothing outside the material world. Considering the discoveries that are always being made, this would be foolish of me. Whenever any new light can be got as to such matters, I will be glad to welcome it. In the meantime, I'm not going to go back to the bondage of believing in any old and already decaying superstitions. Mm. Now, come on. This could be written by hundreds of thousands of young fanboys of the new atheists out there, right? Sure, could. And you'd read something like this and you'd go, oh, yeah, what's the point? Well, this letter was signed by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote it when he was 17 years old of age. And guess what? J.R.R. Tolkien and some of his other friends didn't stop proclaiming the gospel to him. And he miraculously came to faith. So number one declaration, we need to be the declarers as we leave this church today, this gathering of the church. Secondly, discipleship. Again, as clearly seen in Jesus' command in Matthew 28, it's to go and make disciples. Discipleship, then, is to be a big part of what we do when we we scatter, and here, but when we scatter especially. But here's a key key question for you. When when does the process of making a disciple actually begin, do you think? You see, again, in my church life, it was like, well, you know, like you, you join a church and they have Discipleship 101 upstairs, right? Like either before the gathering of the church or, or afterwards. And, and, and as soon as you get baptized as a faith in, in a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, well, then boom, you, you need to get into the discipleship class and you need to get into a one-on-one re- discipleship relationship, right? 
So that's got to be when discipleship begins. That, that's not at all when it begins. In fact, Jesus has shown us <laughs> when it begins. And he has proven to us what the model is. We see it in Matthew 4, verses 18 and 19, where we read, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately following calling Peter and Andrew, he also called James and John and said the same thing to them. Well, not the fishers of men bit, but just, just follow me. Right? And, and they left everything. And they followed him. And then, of course, what Jesus did is once they got to a, you know, where they were going, they found a room, and they, he sat them down, and he, he gave them Theology 101, right? And, and a discipleship class, and, and, and baptized them, right? No, no, actually, he took them on a road trip for three and a half years, but it started immediately taking them on a road trip to show them what good ministry looked like. And there's pretty good evidence in the New Testament that none of them really believed that he was, in fact, the Messiah until after he rose from the dead. So discipleship for those disciples began at the very beginning of being called by Jesus. So like with Jesus, for you and I, discipleship is a process that begins with our sharing the gospel, declaring, proclaiming, and witnessing, and then inviting those who are interested... Uh, you know, like you've shared the little story I showed you earlier or illustrated to you earlier where someone goes, okay, that's interesting. Jesus changed you in the way and you're giving him credit for the kind of person in life that you're living. I'm interested in that. that, that that's interesting. I, I, I'll hear more about that. Well, then fine. Invite those people to follow you while you follow Jesus. Invite them into your life. Invite them for dinner. <laughs> Disciple them. Right then and there, from the beginning. This can, of course, involves you sharing the word with them, giving them good, solid books. Maybe C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. That's not a bad one. That'd be a good starter, right? Helped an awful lot of people. And then, listen, when they're ready and ask, invite them to the gathering of the church. It won't be as frightening. (laughs) But, But, I mean, there's some groundwork that's been done by us as we scatter, making disciples. This then leads to seeing them, many of them, not all, being baptized upon a profession of faith in your local church. You planted some seeds. Someone else does some watering. And then they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We hear their testimony on the stage, and there's not too many dry eyes in the house. Amen? That's a pretty wonderful thing to be a part of. And then from that point on, we as a church teach them everything we know to observe everything that Jesus commanded us to do from that day forward. We'd live life on life with them, continuing to disciple them. And you know what? Their gifts now become a part of the body of the church. And that's a marvelous and wonderful thing. It's a really marvelous and wonderful thing. And so uh, we're going to be getting into... uh, um, tomorrow night, actually, I'm going to be having a meeting with the missional community group leaders and hosts about re-engaging our missional community groups for this fall. And uh, as I've already mentioned earlier, we call you as a, a tender or a member of the Rock Church 
to faithfully attend one of these. This is where we do life on life together. This is where we disciple one another. And I like to say this, one of the first things that you do as a disciple maker is just show up for someone else. You just show up for someone else. And so the key and main purpose of our missional community groups is discipleship. That's the key reason. We gather together in homes, usually midweek in small groups, where we can truly live life on life together. We become family through this meal uh, that we do, a potluck meal, and that's why we do that as a church. It's not, not just a you know, huddle and cuddle, care group, Bible study, you fill in the blanks you come to. No, we bring food and we eat together with kids. It's noisy, it's messy, it's crazy. It's family, multi-generational. It's awesome. It's how we grow in that. And of course, we uh, grow in both our knowledge of the Word of God and in our practice, in our walk. I'm, as I said, meeting with the missional community group leaders uh, tomorrow night to get that uh, restarted in our minds, just recast some vision for that, some plans that we have for the fall. So I want to encourage you that that's a big part of discipleship as we scatter. Join a missional community group when we um, re, re, uh, restart them in a couple of weeks. Some of them are still going, but you can find them on our website. That's really important for your discipleship and also the discipling of others. Lastly, point number three is demonstration. Hmm. So in our first message, I spoke about the cry about justice in our world today, and specifically social justice. Um, the point then, and certainly now, is to ensure that we understand that the mission of the church is what we have come to believe from the scriptures, and it's actually not things like expanding the kingdom of God, building the kingdom of God, or that other one, joining God in the renewal of all things. Those sound great, and there's some truth to some of those, but the reality in relation to all of them is two things. One, we don't do that, church. God does that. We don't do that. Uh, Secondly, it's not specifically the mission. Preach the gospel. Make disciples is the primary call that is upon us. So we, do, we don't do anything of those things. That said, we are called, listen, to demonstrate good works that are the fruits of hearts that are grateful for the love that God has shown to each one of us and his great gift of salvation specifically. So we have been and we are continually blessed with what we did not deserve. And on that basis, we should be very generous and people and seek the welfare of others in our community and in our world. Amen. Of course we should. And so the question is, how does that look? Well, we as a church strongly believe that the Bible teaches that we Christians individually are to be people of both declaration and demonstration. And also as a church, collectively, we are to be a church that declares the gospel, the good news, and demonstrates it. So now the question has to be, where do you start? Come on. I mean, sit down and, and just watch the news, think about it, pray about it. How many important causes are there out there? I mean, in the last few weeks, the Afghanistan situation, come on. It's, it's hurtful. It's painful. But, but that on top of the, ones be, the week before that and before that and before that, it just, it just amplifies. And sometimes it just feels like there's nothing we can do 
And so in some cases, people do nothing. And, and then some people just spend all of their time on this one and then that one and then this one and that one and get frustrated and tired and frankly, burnt out. So I want to show you a couple of things today to help us focus in our conclusion this morning on what can we do and what should we do? Now, of course, uh, some of the social justice warriors out there, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic, please hear me. I prefer biblical justice, and we'll look at that in a second. But, you know, one of their favorite verses is when Jesus in Matthew 25 talks about the least of these, right? And so the idea is, is that the least of these, of course, are the hungry, the thirsty, the poor, the outcasts, and the oppressed. And so Jesus implies in Matthew 25, if, if, you, if you care for them, you care for me. If you don't, whew, his words following that are pretty harsh. Basically, you're not going to heaven if you don't do those things. But what's missed is this. It's really important. Matthew 25, 40, Jesus says this. Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, look, my brothers, you did it to me. Friends, all of Jesus' teachings, all of the New Testament apostles and teachers make this point, and again, I'm going to use the word, primarily, first and foremost, our responsibility is to, is to our brothers and sisters in Christ, is to the family, is to the church, first and foremost. First John, the Apostle John wrote in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his hand against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I don't believe this is any one of you that I know. But I have been in situations where people like, yeah, you know what? You know, some of the people in our church, I, I don't know. I just... They've got more than enough, and just because they're struggling doesn't mean, you know, I, I'm, I'd rather give my money somewhere else. The priority is supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and actually, if you read further in John and in Peter, it, it's also to those traveling missionaries, to the itinerant preachers, to the preachers in your church. So that's the primary but it's certainly not the exclusive. It does not suggest if a family in Squamish who doesn't go to church, we don't even know our believers, has their house burned down or has some other catastrophe you know, come upon them, some death, some really serious situation, and a GoFundMe is put up, it's not to suggest that we shouldn't give. Of course we should. And anonymously, maybe too. Of course we should. But there's a priority in the family of God. Another key and, of course, favorite verse is, is of course, I love this verse. Uh, it's Micah 6.8. You guys would probably think I'd come to this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So, obviously, justice is a huge issue today. There's an awful lot of injustice in our world. And it should be. It should be. But to say that social justice must be part of the mission of the church, at least as it is broadly defined in our world and in our culture, is to take it, in my opinion, as your pastor, too far. 
is taking it too far. We spent six weeks, actually, last summer, I believe, in Micah. What a, what a well-timed thing that was. I had no idea that when we were going to do Micah that George Floyd was going to happen. And, and so we're in it, and we're going through it, and we learned some great lessons. You might want to go and watch that and get more of it. But the Coles notes of what we learned in that is this. Justice in this context, in Micah and in the Old Testament, in God's economy, always has to do with things like weights and measures, fair and equitable treatment, specifically person-to-person, and certainly at the civic level as well. Micah 6.8 then literally means this. We, you and I, should not steal, we should not bribe, and we should not cheat. It starts with us. On the other hand, we should, when we are in the position to do so, always render fair and impartial Judgment, judgments. And we, we should want that from our world and our culture too. But again, it's not the mission of the church to try to influence and change the government. Well, maybe if you're a Christian called into that, you could and you should. So I want to leave you with three key applications today from this series, but really from this message today that I hope will be helpful. Um, I've mentioned the missional community groups to you and one of the key goals of it, but there's another. There's a reason why we call them missional community groups. Um, It's it's the basic reason is is that we we ask each missional community group as a small version of our family, as a group of people who can wisely discern these things, to identify something the Lord has put on their heart in our community, in our own backyard, first of all, maybe elsewhere, and that has happened in our church family, where you as a group, 12 of you, 14 of you, however many of you there, there are, can, can go and seek justice, be on a mercy mission with Jesus and together in our community. That's the goal of our missional community groups. That after a few months together, you will figure that out, that you will start doing those things. And in years past, we have, we've seen some amazing things. We've had community groups who've said, you know what, we are going to be the ones who are going to make sure that, excuse me, once a month, uh, there is a service done up at Hilltop House uh, by people from the Rock Church for those who are unable to get out to to worship on a Sunday morning, elderly in our community, and go and bless them. We've had groups work at uh, Helping Hands and, and serve food to the poor and to help them. I saw a survey just done this week, I think it's the first ever in Squamish, but they actually counted for the first time the number of homeless people that they believe there are in Squamish. How many do you think there are? A dozen? How about 120 homeless people by their count in the last week? We've had a community group say, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to, because we're the downtown community group, we're just going to go through the downtown, you know, once a month or whatever, and we're just going to go through the back alleys, we're going to pick up needles, we're going to clean up, we're going to, you know help clean up graffiti from if people want that cleaned up, graffiti that's not very nice. Um, Things like that. We're going to do that. We also had a missional community group four or five years ago uh, decide that they were going to be the group that was going to take on the missions trip to Mexico with San Quentin Mission, Dream Center Mission uh, in the Baja of Mexico and help build two-room schools and homes for uh, migrant workers. And, and that, that's, that's been a fantastic thing. We haven't been able to do it in the last year because of COVID, obviously, but that's been fantastic. And you know why? 
one of the greatest things about that is not only have we, you know, 10, 15 rockers go, right? And, and, and some people actually from the church up in uh, Whistler, but also over in, in Victoria area that's associated with that ministry, but people from our workplaces who don't follow Jesus were invited on those missions trips. That's pretty good. That's actually very helpful. And so we do things like that, and that's what we should do. And I will also add this. Usually, Monday to Saturday, that's what's happening right here. The, the reason why we have the ledge, guys, is we want to be missional. We want to serve. We want to love. We want to redeem an old building and restore her, and then give her and our service to the community. And when we have opportunity, use words. Amen? <laughs> we do. But also this, the, the Rock Church, we support missions. And so this is another point that I'd like to make. It's really important. It, it's, it's important for us to discern together these things. And so as a church eldership and board and members, we vet certain things. So we give every month to, as a church, from your tithes and offerings, we give to Young Life, to support Young Life in Squamish, because we think that's a good mission. We also send money to MB Mission, the Mennonite Brethren's uh, overseas missions organization that not only goes and plants churches, which is awesome, but they also do you know, help in, in the case of tragedies and, and emergencies with food and safety and covering for people who need it. And of course, we also give to church planting. That's a good way to declare and disciple. Last thing I want to leave you with is this. It's a term called moral proximity. And I want to leave it with you as, uh, as an encouragement for you personally when you think, oh man, there's so many needs out there. I just don't know where to start. The idea of moral proximity is something that has been developed by missionaries and theologians in the church. And the idea is that the, the closer the need, the greater the moral obligation to help. So yeah, in your own family, first of all. <laughs> in your own backyard, first of all. Moral proximity does not refer to geography, though that can be part of the equation. Moral proximity, and I'm reading this from Kevin DeYoung's book, What's the Mission of the Church? He said this, moral proximity refers to how connected we are to someone by virtue of familiarity, kinship, space, or time. There's a good place to start. And yes, there are lots of causes. Yes, there are a lot of horrible things going on in the world. We can't help them all but we can start somewhere, right? And that's the idea. So friends, I want to scatter you now by praying for you. And I want to encourage you, let's, let's go and declare. Let's go and disciple. And let's go and demonstrate our love for this world. Pray with me, would you?